Why don't we take a minute to pray before we jump into our subject today. Father, we thank you that through Jesus it is well with our soul, that you made it possible for us to be cleansed and healed through the death of your son and resurrection from the dead, and we're grateful for that. And now, Lord, as we continue in our time of worship and, and looking at your word, we ask you to speak to us. We ask you, Lord, to... Help us unite faith with the things that we're reading about that it might make a difference in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I was uh, 13 or 14 years old, um, I found out that a kid in my neighborhood wanted to fight me. I think my older brother told me first and then the kid actually came up to me and said, I I really wanna fight you. Now, um, this isn't the same kid that waited for me outside the locker room when I was a freshman in high school. In fact, this kid wasn't a bully. Um, what he wanted was just a contest. He wanted to prove that he could, he could beat me up if he wanted to. It wasn't like he wanted to hurt me or anything. It's just he wanted a fist fight. And I didn't want to do that for two reasons. First of all, um, I might get hurt. Uh, But second, and this was really a a big deal for me, um, our parents didn't permit fighting. One of the rules was never fight, never fight, never fight. And so the thought was if I get in a fight, then I'll get home and be disciplined for getting in a fight that I didn't want to get in the fight with anyway. But the kid kept asking. And so um, I came up with a, a different answer and approach to him. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't want to uh, fist fight you. What I want to do is wrestle you. Now, um, at this point, I didn't know much about wrestling, probably about as much as I knew about fist fighting, but I did have uh, what I consider to be a secret weapon. I got it from, I think, I don't know what it used to be called before it was WWW, but, you know, the wrestlers. Well, there's a move that they use that's called the scissors move. And I'd used it on my brothers with good success. I used it on another neighborhood kid too and it actually scared me. I thought I killed him with the scissors. I mean, I really thought, like, I hope he doesn't have internal bleeding or something because this is such an effective move. And so I said, well, if you wrestle me, because I knew if I could get him on the ground, what you do is you get him on the ground, you move perpendicular, you put your legs around his stomach, lock your ankles and squeeze. And in my case, I have bony knees. And so the day came, and we were going to wrestle it out, and we both flew to the ground, and and then I got on that scissor squeeze, and I squeezed, and he was screaming. He said, stop. I said, did I win? He wouldn't answer. I kept squeezing. Did I win? And finally admitted it. I think I made him say uncle as well. this, this incident is the only time, I think, uh, well, in all my school years where I was involved with what might be considered to be a fight. After this happened, by the way, he never did bother me and neither did anybody else. But in our house growing up, this idea of fighting somebody else was just not looked upon very well. You were to avoid fights no matter the cost. I think part of it was my dad was a minister and it's like the the preacher's kids should not be involved with fist fights. But I was kind of afraid to fight and as I've examined my, my family of origin, I also realized this, that 
really all fighting was prohibited. Even arguing. I, I don't remember a certain fight, any single fight that my parents had in the home. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have fights. They just didn't let us hear them. I think they're real. You're going to have issues there. But we were told you don't fight. And my brothers and I don't fight. And fighting is bad. Arguing is bad. You're never to fight. That's a positive thing in this regard that I, I feel like it um, created a lot less drama in our household. We didn't have a lot of fights going on. But there was a negative side, and that was this. I don't think we ever learned to fight well. I don't think we learned how to disagree with people. The message I would have gotten growing up was avoid a fight at all costs. Don't address things, and so things get pushed down. And, and it means that then we're not very good about fighting if we ever need to fight, which we shouldn't, but if we ever did need to. Now, let me explain why I think this is kind of an issue. I don't think there's been a time in my life like the present where the country is so polarized, so many disagreements, so many strong opinions people have, and the hatred out there, and, and the fights that are taking place all over, over different ideas and different philosophies. Now, I don't believe that the main issue is differences of opinion, although that's a, that's a big part of it. I mean, things are getting polarized. No, to me, the bigger issue is this. We've just not learned to fight well. We've not learned how to disagree with people in a disagreeable way or an agreeable way, in a way that could make a difference, a positive difference. And as a result, when we get into confrontations, they're not very helpful. Now, today we're going to wrap up our series in the book of Colossians. And I ended last week by talking about the fact that one of the main ways in which our faith is revealed, in other words, the truth of the fact we're Christians, is revealed through our relationships with other people. Well, Paul begins to spell out different kinds of relationships as he continues Colossians 3 and into Colossians chapter 4. And my main takeaway here today is this, that we need to pursue the path of peace. We need to look for what brings about true peace, not fake peace. Fake peace is when we pretend everything's okay and it's not. But I think that God wants us to be ones who get along with each other and who are at peace with one another. But sometimes that's going to involve getting in the middle of some things that are hard to do. Are we able to love well in the midst of confrontation? And I think we could. But Paul mentions three things, or at least I've noticed three things in Colossians 3 in the beginning of chapter 4 that I think could help us pursue the path of peace. It makes the difference or can make the difference in our lives. The first is this. Because of Christ, we are able to see people differently. Because we have Jesus Christ, we don't or aren't at least supposed to look at people the way other people look at other people. We're not, we're not to look at skin. We're not to look at a lot of outward appearance type things. As Christians, in fact, I think we're supposed to look at people as people, and I think this is what gets lost in arguments. You see, we dehumanize the person with which we're arguing. By that, I mean that we don't regard them as a person anymore, but as just a position. Or we demonize them. 
We come up with a way of describing them so we do not have to confront the, the real issues. If you could say, well, you're just a conservative. Oh, you're just a liberal, you know. You're an Islamophobe. Just to throw out some kind of title out there and it's like, well, because that's the way you are, or we might even dehumanize them by saying, you're just plain dumb. But suddenly, then we don't have to talk. Like, that end, ends the matter. It's not the way we're to love and respect people. It's just not the way God wants us to do it, as we'll see in a little bit. But there is a way in which God wants us to start viewing people. In Colossians 3.11, Paul wrote, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, for Christ is all and in all. When you come to Jesus Christ, it changes the way you view everybody. Of course, Paul said that elsewhere. He said, I no longer regard people in the flesh. I don't regard them by what they do for a living. I don't regard them by how much money they have. I don't guard, or, or regard them based on, on the color of their skin or their nationality or whatever. We don't regard people based on those things anymore because we have Jesus and he's accepted us all. You see, two things are true really of every person if we would see them properly. One is that every person has been created in the image of God. Somehow we reflect our creator, every person. And second, everyone is someone for whom Christ died. Christ died for this person. God, Christ cares about this person. And we're told we need to stop putting lines between us. A scholar by the name of Norman Geisler explains the different categories that Paul mentioned here in Colossians 3.11. In Christ, distinctions are removed. These include national distinctions like Greek or Jew, religious distinctions, whether you're circumcised or not, cultural distinctions, whether you're a barbarian or Scythian, a barbarian was basically a non-Greek, uncivilized person. The Scythian was a savage, actually is how we would translate that. Or economic or social distinctions, whether someone is free or whether they're in slavery. All of those distinctions are gone between us because God views us in terms of ones for whom Christ died, we're infinitely worth the son's death. And it's how we need to start viewing one another. But we get into arguments and then we don't see a person standing there. We have interactions all the time and we don't see the person there. We go shopping, someone's taking care of us, but we don't ever see the person there. I'm just saying we need to see people as Christ does. But there's a second way that can help us along this path of peace that I think we should be pursuing, and that is because of Christ, we're able to love people differently. We don't just see them differently, but we have the ability to love them differently. Why? Well, two things. One is that the peace of God is in your heart through Christ, and second, the God of peace is there too. You have both the peace of God and the God of peace. You have the God of love who's in your life and the love of God. And Paul begins a section here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, and he reminds them of the fact we're loved before he asks us to start loving others. He said, therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, because these things are true, that you're God's chosen ones, you're set apart and you are loved. Put on these things. 
heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love the perfect bond of unity. We're to clothe ourselves with the love that we've received from God toward other people, loving other people in that way. We understand what love is because of that love. I mean, you stop for a moment and just reflect on how much God loves you. Reflect on how much he's forgiven you. Think about the cost that Jesus paid so that you could be in heaven with God forever and ever. Our God is crazy about us. Jesus is crazy about us. And then we look at other people and in our hearts we despise them especially if they're on the opposite side of some issue. I admit it's hard. You know, I'll look at my Facebook feed. It can get kind of frustrating a little bit because I have people on both sides of just about any issue out there, and so it's kind of fun to watch. And there are a couple that as soon as I see the name, I go, oh, no. I'm real close to delete, delete. But I, I, I don't ever want to be that. I don't want to be that. I want to be reminded what that is. It's not what we're supposed to be. What if we put on these qualities in terms of people with whom we disagree? What if, for example, we had heartfelt compassion towards someone instead of anger? Really a heartfelt compassion. Try to understand that. What if we showed kindness and humility instead of being either harsh or proud? What if we dealt gently with people and exhibited patience? As I mentioned last week, the word patience means to put up with a lot of junk. What if we could start putting up with a lot of junk and say, well, because Jesus put up with a lot of junk, so can I. Because he loves me, so can I. I, I admit, it's, it's not always easy to do. About three years ago or so, I went to a hotel and I was standing in line waiting to be waited on and there were three people in front of me. There was a girl at the very front who was working with the attendant there or someone at a computer. And then there were two women of another nationality that were standing in front of me. And then there was me. Now you see, does, does that detail matter? Well, it, it did in this case. So I'm standing there and uh, the line was moving particularly slowly. And all of a sudden, an employee came out from behind and walked over to the other terminal and said, I can help the next person. And so I said to the two women in front of me, are you two together? Because that just opened up over there. And the look I got, I'll, I'll never forget it. If looks could kill, I, I died. <laughs> Death would not have been enough. I'm telling you, the fire. The look in this one woman's face, it was like she, I mean, it's, and then she said, what, just because we're not like you, does that mean we're together? If you see other two other people, do you go up to them and say, hey, are you guys together? And she yelled and making a huge scene. And I thought, I wasn't presuming you were together. That's why I asked the question. If I presumed you were together, I'd say, you guys are together. I'm going over here. But I walked away and I thought, wow, to be that. But then I did wonder, what on earth you've been through? There have been a lot of injustices in this world. I don't know what, what that woman had been through. But we need to be able to put up with a lot. 
And I think we'd get along better if we did. So we pursue the path of peace by seeing people differently, and I think we love differently. We love as Christ loved us, and then finally, because of Christ, I think we're able to treat people differently. Now, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul gives three types of situations where you need to get along with one another. And I'm going to look at them in a minute here. But he's talking about how basically you treat people in these different environments. One is marriage. One of them is a situation where there's a slave and a master, which is something we can't relate to real well. And then the third is when you're dealing with those who are outside the faith. Now, let me mention that this is a little bit where the rubber gets the road, hits the road here because there's a word I'm going to read here in a minute, and it's a word nobody likes. It's... it's it's a, it's a swear word. It's um, submit. We hate the word. We hate the word, but if we are going to learn to get along with people, the word just means to yield. We've got to learn to yield to one another. Now, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 lists these same three groups and how we need to get along with one another, but he began this section with this verse in Ephesians chapter 5, 21. He said, submit to one another in the fear of or out of reverence for Christ. Yield to one another, all of us. In other words, we go through this life with this spirit of I'm willing to yield. I don't always have to have my own way. And any of you that are, have been married know that yielding is a big part of it, isn't it? It's some give and take. If you don't know it's a big part, well, you're probably not married. Or you won't be for long. The issue is learning, learning how to yield to one another. And so Paul begins this section in Colossians 3.18. He says, wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. It's home life. And how are you getting along? And it says husbands are to love their wives. And I like the way he put it in Ephesians. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're to be like Jesus to that woman. I'm to lay down my life for my wife. That's not easy to do, but I need to die to what I want, loving my wife, out-serving my wife, out-giving to my wife, laying down my life for my wife. I think that's what, I mean, we're supposed to be like Jesus in this relationship. And he laid down his life. He knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. But wives are also told here to respect the husband's leadership in the home. I know for some of you, that's, a big issue and maybe partly it's because you don't understand what that looks like because obviously if you have a husband that's this way it becomes easier as a wife to say I can respect this this one and his leadership and then it says children should obey their parents but then the, the parents don't get a complete buy like the children only do the obeying no it says no you fathers especially don't exasperate the kids don't ride them Love them, care for them. It's give and take. It's describing how you treat people within your family. And that's how we're to treat one another. Paul, though, then jumps to slaves and masters. And I need to mention a couple things about this. 
One is that the type of slavery in biblical times is different than it is when we think of slavery. When we think of slavery, we think of the United States, part of our history, or we think of actually currently sex slaves. It's horrific. Slavery in our world today is horrific. The type of slavery in Bible times was a little bit different. Somebody who was in debt would have to sell himself or herself or family to someone else to pay off the debt. So you were considered enslaved until you paid off the debt. Also, if you defeated another country in battle, you could either kill the enemy or sometimes they enslave them. It still was not a positive thing. It's just a little different than what we think of. The reason I say this is that Paul in the verses I'm about to read does not try to get rid of slavery. That's not what he wants to talk about. He's not also endorsing slavery. In other, another place he says, get out of it. That's not what he's doing here, but what he is doing is saying, if you're in this particular environment, this is what this would look like in terms of getting along. And how I apply it is the work environment. So as I'm reading slave and master, you think boss. You think employee, because that's how we would apply this in the world in which most of us live. Verse 22, slaves obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically, something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve Lord Christ. It's redeeming this horrible situation by saying, Love that person that's over your life. Serve them as you would be serving Christ. Because ultimately, that's what you're doing. And in our work environment, we have the ability, I think, to serve Christ, to do the best job we can, to be the most honest, hardworking people of integrity, the ones who get along the best. We want to be the best employees of all. But then on the other side of it, chapter four and verse one, it says, masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. And so again, it's not endorsing slavery, but it's rebuking the master to say, do you realize that you have a master in heaven? You better be careful how you treat that person that reports to you. And I would add this, that if you're a boss, it matters how you treat people. It's, a, it's an issue of respect. It's learning to love other people and treat them worth their dignity. And I think oftentimes we're not very good about that. The last area Paul points to is those outside the faith. He says in verse 5 of Colossians 4, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. So you can know how to say the right thing so that you can get along. So that you can say the right words to other people. What does it say? Well, let your words be seasoned, gracious, like salt. I like this verse because I like salt. I just like salt. I believe I've even put salt on my pickles. I, I, I like salt. It brings out the flavor of food. It's, it's uh, something that makes the food acceptable. You add salt to your words, it makes your words acceptable. All of this is about how you view other people, though. All of this is about how you see other people. 
It's all of this is about how you love other people with the love that you've received, and then all of this is about treating other people well. And in these situations, again, it's about being respectful. It's about give and take. It's about the ability to yield to one another. Now, I want you to just consider as we have this idea of pursuing the path of peace, which one do you struggle with the most and maybe where there needs to be a change in your own life. For some of you, it's starting to see people differently. We all have forms of prejudice. It's hard to not form an opinion immediately, how people look, how they're dressed, how much money it seems they might have, what education. We form opinions all the time. But again, as Paul said, we are not to judge people based on these types of things. We see the person. We see someone for whom Christ died, and we love them. And we recognize that we're, we're loved when we don't deserve it. We recognize we're forgiven, though we don't deserve it, but we're to forgive as we've been forgiven. We're to love as we've been loved. And finally, I think it needs to flesh it out in how we treat other people, starting with the home working in the work environment, and out in the world, we're called to be Christians who reflect the love of Christ to a lost world. This is what I think will win them, but not if we keep viewing people as enemies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making it possible for us to be your friends, to be called friends of yours through Jesus. Thank you for how you have loved us. Thank you for how you have forgiven us. Help us, O oh Lord, now to treat other people the way you treat us. Help us to love well and to see the humanity in people and see the need, the deep need that every person has and how Jesus is the answer. May we win people over by the love we have for them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.